This is Chris. Welcome to episode 305 of X Lapsed, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, like fifth time is the charm here. I've tried to start this show a few times already. Um, I'm guessing many people would be uh, familiar with this sensation that I'm having right now. I, I got all psyched up to do this, uh, you know. I, I then I took my morning meds, and I can't help but feel like one of them is still stuck in the back of my throat. I know it's probably not, but it's like I, I have that feeling, so it's like. I feel like I need to, like, hack, and it's just, it's not pleasant. It's certainly not pleasant, and it's not advantageous to uh, recording, especially when it did take me a little while to psych myself up into doing uh, into doing this recording, because the stories we're going to read today, we, we've got two. Um, they're not bad stories, but uh, they don't exactly inspire discussion or analysis, or, or the kind of discussion and analysis that I like giving, basically. Um, so this was a uh, this was a morning where, like, you ever see like the old cliche of someone with writer's block, like on on television or in a movie or something. Like you see them sitting in front of their their typewriter or their keyboard or whatever, and then like a like a coffee stain across the room on the on the kitchen counter catches their eye, so they get up and they deal with that, and then they go back to sit down in front of the, the keyboard, and then. Oh well, then like a fly is like uh, is like buzzing against the window or something. So you, you deal with that. It's that that's been my morning, <laughs> because uh, the stories we're gonna discuss, uh, like I said, they don't really inspire all that much in uh, the way of uh, analysis or, or really much of anything. This is a uh, completionist episode for uh, you know for all of us, myself included. But at the risk of letting my off mic uh, vamping <laughs> bleed into on mic vamping, how about we? We just get into it. Let's get into it here. We got X-Men Unlimited, Volume 3, Number 16. We'll say this one has a cover uh, date of January 2022. Story's called Paradise Lost, Chapter 4, Down Goes Frasia. Written by uh, Fabian Nicieza, with art by Matthew Horick. Letters, VCs Josebino, edits Amaro, Bisa, White, Sabalski. This one appeared on the Marvel Unlimited application on January the 3rd of 2022. We are a little bit behind on our Unlimited because of... Uh, well, you know, I wanted episode 300 to be special, and then all that crap happened at the house last month, so that's why we're getting these now. We will, of course, catch up. Now, we open with another overlong Deadpool rejoinder, uh, catching us up on the story that, uh, well, I mean, anybody who's reading this rejoinder can freely go back and check out uh, the entire story at zero extra cost. Now, you might think that, you know, having Deadpool give us a recap would be funny. It could be. It's not, but it could be. Uh, this pretty much feels like it's uh, it's getting so much room here uh, to allow Fabian Nicieza to make his first dozen or so Nazis are bad jokes slash observations of this chapter. 
Because, I mean, you know, you may not have heard this. And so you're, you're hearing it here. First, uh, Nazis are bad. And personally, I would like to give Fabian kudos for being brave enough to say this several dozen times throughout this story. Because, you know, this is a very, very, very brave thing to say. Especially since we found out in the last Nisiesa issue that being a Nazi is uh, becoming trendy nowadays. Jesus. Uh, anyway, let's get into the story. And, well, uh, we've got two more Nazi jokes slash mentions within the first two word balloons. We get it, Fabian. You're, you're just as with it as a current-year writer. Uh, so, yeah, Arnim Zola, who I might have to remind you is a Nazi, is uh, laying out the plan for Deadpool and the remaining Unstoppables. Now, in case you forgot, last chapter wrapped up with the Juggernaut strapping himself to a rocket in order to fly up to the Warden's HQ. Deadpool, when he's not talking about Nazis, because he is still talking about Nazis, he tries to tune Zola in, as, as though he's tuning, like, an old television. It's not funny. Um, anyway, as uh, Zola's accent increases to cartoonish levels, we see that the Juggernaut has crashed into the base. He's taken out the gravity stabilizers, so, uh, well, it's just a matter of time at this point before this floating prison starts to plummet. And the warden, he's been alerted to this, and he says that they've got two options. They either fix the stabilizers, or they prepare to land. On the base, Juggernaut detaches himself from the missile wreckage, and he vows to F some fools up. Back with the gang, Deadpool says, uh, Nazi 11 more times, while Arnim Zola acts like he just walked off the set of Hogan's Heroes. It's all I know nothings and nine nine nines. It's 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 a little uh, on the nose. Now, as the prison or dungeon or whatever the hell it is is falling, Zola gives the group an estimate of where it might land. On their way there, Quicksand tells Wade that he's upset Doctor Zola. To which we get, you guessed it, another several mentions that uh, Doctor Zola is a Nazi. Now, at the supermax or whatever it is, uh, everything is going quite caca. Juggernaut makes his way toward the Warden, and Deadpool gives us his only funny line of the chapter when he looks out the window to watch the prison crash in a, quote, vertical scroll. And, uh, I mean, that is a, uh, a commentary on the Infinity Comics. And so we get three finger flicks later, and the, we watch the thing crash. And uh, while it goes down, Wade shouts, down goes Frasier, which eh, it seems like it might be an odd or an old reference for Deadpool to make, but, I mean, we understand it, so I guess it's okay. Uh, the Unstoppables fight their way into the fallen prison, and they find Kane, who is much worse for wear. And they ask, what could have possibly beaten up the Juggernaut so? You know, besides all those things that have already beaten up the Juggernaut. It turns out that the Warden has injected himself with all of the powers he'd stolen from the Supers, and so we wrap up with the reveal that the Warden is now the all-powerful human adaptoid. Well, that's where we leave it, and I... I suppose we ought to talk about it a little bit, huh? Like I said at the start here, not much to say about this one. I'm not sure what it is about X-Men Unlimited that, that really doesn't inspire the best work out of uh, otherwise really, really good writers. I mean, we had our first arc with Hickman, which was a little a little lean, right? Uh, despite the fact that it's getting reprinted in physical form. Uh, the Duggan story, the less said about that, the better. And this one started off pretty strong here, but... I mean, from the onset, we knew that this Paradise Lost story was going to be something like seven or eight chapters long, which, from what we're getting here, it's a little too long for for a story like this. There's just not a whole lot, not enough happening to justify the amount of space that it's getting. And I do understand that this is 
you know, a brand new format, or relatively speaking, a brand new format for uh, Marvel and, and comic storytelling here. So uh, they're they're still working the wrinkles out, but it really feels like we're like we're just scrolling for time here. And I feel like that's kind of a shame. And it, uh, I feel like this story, uh, I mean, the story that leads into this, the Juggernaut miniseries, was so good that this feels. I don't know, this feels like a, it could have been a whole lot better. I'm really not sure why Deadpool needs to be such a big part of this story, and I'm a big Deadpool fan, but here, it just doesn't it just doesn't really work. Uh, Deadpool, you know, when he's a uh, co-star here, he needs to be the, the comic relief, I feel. And um, they're trying. You know, they're trying to make him funny. It's just nothing he's saying except one thing has actually been funny. And I understand his inclusion here since, you know, the Warden did take... You know, a whole lot of his uh, his power set But, I don't know, just something about it isn't really landing for me Hopefully my mind can be changed as we get into the uh, the latter parts of this story The second half of the story But um, as for now, it really just feels like Like I said, we're scrolling for time And on top of that, the insistence on uh, This very courageous denouncing of Nazism here I mean, uh, is there is there anybody listening who, who is a fan of Nazis? Have you ever met anyone? Who's a, who's a fan of Nazis? I, admittedly, I'm not a terribly worldly dude, and I don't have a very wide, you know, social uh, circle here. But I don't think I've ever, ever met anyone with a favorable view on on Nazis here. So, so this insistence that we're getting in uh, current year comics that the movement is on an upswing or something, it's it feels like we're really trying too hard to... And, and, you know, I know the terms like virtue signaling are, are way, way overused, but it really kind of just smacks of that. And the frequency that we're seeing it come up, it... I don't know, it just feels like we're uh, stretching definitions to include anything we disagree with rather than what a word originally meant. And I'm probably going way far into the weeds here, but I think I could probably put a bow on this just by saying, we get it, Fabian. We get it. And dude, I love you. You're one of the reasons why I started reading X-Men comics. You're one of the reasons why I kept reading X-Men comics. But, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Um, let's get into our next story here. This is our backup for uh, the next few weeks, I believe. I think as of this recording, there are three chapters of this one out. I don't know if it'll be finite or if it's going to go... Part of me thinks it might go ten parts because of what it might be running alongside. Um, or was it eight? I, I, I can't remember how many parts Zlato's Lado is. But uh, anyway, this is Life of Wolverine number one. January 2022, sort of kind of cover date. The story is called Chapter One, The Boy and the Beast Within. Written by Jim Zub, with art by Ramon Box. Colors, Hava Tartaglia, letters, VCs, Josebino. Edits, Baumgardner, Basso, White, Sabolski. This one appeared on the app on January the 19th of 2022. Now, we open on Krakoa, probably to make sure we, you know, current year completionists don't automatically assume that this is just a chronological retelling of Wolverine's origin story and dismiss it. Because, A, we've already read it multiple times. And, B, I mean, this is a Marvel comic, so we're always just a panel or two away from Marvel contradicting the lot of it anyway. This is, by the way, a chronological retelling of Wolverine's origin story. And as I mentioned, I'm not sure if this is like an actual tie-in to Zlato's Lado, or just a helpful guide for the non-existent new reader. Anyway, like I said, we open at Krakoa, and Professor X and Jean Grey, they've got Logan laid out at Cradle 4. Now, it looks as though Xavier's about to slip a Cerebro helmet 
onto uh, Wolverine. I don't know if he will, but maybe he was taking it off of him. I don't know. Uh, they're about to perform a procedure to try and understand his memories and also to unearth the thoughts and feelings that made him who he is today. Okay, I thought we knew this already, but um, uh, whatever. Uh, so, with Gene as his mental anchor, our hero is sent back to the past. And we get our scrolling gimmick facilitator. We see Wolverine go through several of his old costumes here. We start with his current hoxpox brown and tans. We jump to the Morrison-era leathers. We skip the yellows altogether and uh, get back to the John Byrne browns and tans. And finally, to his whiskery Incredible Hulk 180-181 look. Then, we wind up in... Origin. It's the late 19th century, and we're at a large estate in Alberta. We see small, frail, sickly James Howlett as he's chasing his playmate and first redhead in his life, Rose O'Hara. And of course, he's weak, he's sickly, he's near death, they don't know if he'll ever grow up to be an adult, but he's also a mutant. We then jump ahead to the end of this chapter, to where young James is confronting Dog Logan's father, Thomas, who has just killed our hero's papa. And speaking of papa, the claws pop. He berserker rages, and we are out of here. And again, as mentioned, um, this really doesn't inspire all that much in uh, like new discussion, right? Uh, I understand uh, having this as like the quick and dirty, right? If you are trying to get a bead on Wolverine, and you are actually willing to spend what what is it, ten issues of Zlato's Lado at five to six dollars a pop. We're looking at, you know, over $50. So if you're going to spend over 50 bucks in the next couple of months on a character you know nothing about, I guess this would be helpful. Um, I, I can't see anybody wanting to read Zelato's Lado without knowing at least the, you know, the broader strokes of Wolverine's origin story. And speaking of which, this is a Marvel Unlimited exclusive where you could also just read Origin. You know, for free, on the same application, and not have to deal with a scrolling gimmick and get the actual original story, unless, of course, we're going to be contradicting bits and pieces of that, which is always a possibility. And as mentioned, this might be tying into Zlato's Lado. For all I know, um, we do open on Krakoa, so there is a framing sequence at play here, and uh, maybe as we work our way through this, we'll find out why uh, Logan has been you know, strapped to this table and why they need to investigate his memories. Which is to say, I you know I just hope this story bears fruit, and there's a reason for it to exist and to be in uh, in this format. But like I said, not a whole lot more to say about it. Um, we could talk about origin. I mean, we could talk about um, that story and how, uh, relatively speaking, the that 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 twist ending at the end of uh, origin. I think it was either origin number one or origin number two, uh, which we just saw you know re- replayed here. How huge a shock that was to so many of us back in the day, you know. Uh, Origin, Origin was one of those stories that was a uh, like a necessary evil. At least that's what we were told at the time, because this is when the X Men movies were starting to starting to happen, and uh, they were you know a bit, the first one I believe it was the only one out was a huge hit, and it led Marvel to fear that. Uh, you know, Hollywood was going to dig into Wolverine's origin before they had the opportunity to do so, and so origin happens, so they could kind of get ahead of it. You know, they can actually have a, you know, a canon origin for Wolverine, so they're not beholden to whatever Hollywood decided it would be. 
And so they brought on uh, Paul Jenkins and uh, one of the Cuberts, I believe, and uh, put out a very, very beautiful book. Uh, you know, um, whether you, you dig the quality of the book, whether you like the fact that Wolverine's origin was spilled finally, I don't know if there's any denying that it was a very, very pretty. <laughs> it was a very, very pretty book. A really, uh, really nice package. But the story for the uh, first bits of it kind of it zigged when I think a lot of us were expecting it to zag. Like we met, you know, the the aristocratic kids here, uh, Rose and James, and we saw the groundskeeper Thomas Logan and his son Dog, who looked a lot like Wolverine. And of course, we would find out why a little bit later on. But I mean, the name Logan, it just made us all think that. The story was going one way when it was, in fact, going the other. You know, we saw this dog Logan as an outsider. He was the poor kid, the rough and tumble, you know, the, the kind of person that we would figure Wolverine was as a kid. And then when those claws popped and we found out that it was a, you know, frail little James Howlett who was actually Wolverine, it was a pretty big shock. It was the kind of shock that, you know, regardless of whether or not you like the reveal, you almost had to respect it because it was just, it went totally the other way. And now I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about Origin in the uh, weeks to come as this story plays out. Uh, I'm not sure it needed to be retold. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, that's not fair of me to say. So, Because we don't know where this is headed. We don't know how much time is going to be spent on Origin. We can't guess how adherent Marvel's going to be to this chronolog- chronological chronolo- chronology. <laughs> Jesus, there's the word, chronology. We don't know how adherent they'll be to the chronology. Uh, that they're about to give us here. It could be something that's only good for now. It could be something that's good for a long time. You just never know. It's one of those things that uh, the time will tell the tale. But I think that's about all I have for this one. It was a quick and breezy story, and uh, I probably spent more time talking about it than I should have. But that'll do it for our uh, comics analysis content here. Let's hop into the mailbag making its return. We're going to start with Damien, who's also making his return. And he sent a two-part email, and we will uh, read the first part today and the next part next episode. It is about episode 300. Damien says, Hi, Chris. I've really enjoyed listening to your supersized 300th episode. It took two days' worth of my journey to work, but it was well worth the time. You've really achieved an amazing feat in podcasting. To have such a comprehensive and intelligent analysis of the Krakoan era is a great resource for all of us fake-ass comics historians. Sadly, I check my social media way too infrequently to have seen your request for listener responses, but I wanted to share my two penneth. Well, before we get any deeper in here, I want to thank you for uh, saying comprehensive and intelligent. Those, <laughs> those are words that aren't usually used to describe me or my work. <laughs> Damien continues, As you know, I got into U.S. comics back in 1986. My first storyline was The Mutant Massacre, which means that I consider the golden age of the X-Men to be Uncanny Issues 200 through 275. This is when I was all in, and I loved absolutely every issue. That blue and gold relaunch was the beginning of the end for me. I clung on until just before the Executioner song, but I was over the X-Men. Then I read that John Romita Jr. was coming back to the X-Men with issue number 300, so I had to come back after less than a year of being X-Lapsed. This gives me a slightly different view on the X-Men than a lot of the X-Lapsed community because I started earlier. And, you know, I'm so happy that you said that because um, it's so strange how... The X-Men is different than a lot of uh, a lot of uh, comic properties out there in many, many ways. And um, I'm trying to think of other comics franchises that have such a hard and firm like generational line. Outside of like line-wide things like pre-crisis, post-crisis, there are these like 
things in X-Men where eras will begin and there'll be an influx of new readers and an exodus of old readers or, or you know, uh, seasoned readers. And that's always been so interesting to me because I'm trying to compare it to any other franchise in comics. I'm sure there, there are some, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any with as many as the X-Books here because I've talked to a lot of X-Fans in my time and uh, it's the blue and gold is a biggie for people coming in or conversely deciding to walk away. It's just one of those things that's very, very interesting to me. Uh, Damien continues, On to key stories. I have to wholeheartedly agree that Giant Size X-Men number one is not a good comic. It's not. Uh, I was fooled by the retelling in Classic X-Men number one into thinking it was a pretty good story, but it wasn't until it was reprinted as part of the 100 Greatest Marvel series that I finally read the actual issue. It's pretty ropey. <laughs> I genuinely think that without Dave Cockrum's phenomenal character designs, it would have amounted to nothing. And yeah, again, um, Giant Size is not a great story. I think a lot of us conflate um, important with being uh, good or being an indictment on quality. Because, it, it, like Damien said, it, it's a pretty ropey issue. It's overlong. It's it's kind of muddled. The chapters are... it's Because it's got chapters in it. It's... You know, a giant size, it's like an annual So it's got like a bunch of chapters And uh, I can't deny that it's important I don't think anybody can deny that giant size is very, very important It's just not very good it, It's funny, um, just a few days ago Someone had reshared a piece that I had written um, for Leap Day When was the last Leap Day? Was it 2020? Maybe it was 2020 uh, On Leap Day, Leap, Leap Day is Superman's birthday you know, February 29th is uh, recognized as Superman's birthday And so over at Chris's on Infinite Earths I wanted to do something special And what I did was I reviewed the Reign of the Superman story From uh, that science fiction magazine that uh, Joe Siegel had Which gets talked up a lot Anytime anybody talks about, you know, Superman's origins You know, back in the back in the long ago In the, in the real world, the real world origins of Superman And um, it's one of those stories where I think we conflate important with good because the story is not good. It's uh, it's it's Dickensian in a way where it feels like, and I mean this was Siegel's own mag, but uh, it feels like he was getting paid by the word because there's a lot of damn words in this story, and you also get the impression uh, from people who talk about that story fondly nowadays that they never actually read it because they have so many of the details wrong. Like, if you're familiar with that uh, with that story here, you probably have heard that, you know, Superman was this bald supervillain. And, well, there's a bald guy in it, but he's not the Superman. <laughs> it's a different character altogether. It's a, it's a scientist who kind of facilitates uh, a bum becoming the Superman. So, like Damien said here, you know, once you actually sit down and read the story, you realize that uh, maybe it's not all that great. It is important. But there's definitely a difference between something that's important and something that is good. <laughs> but uh, that's where we'll leave Damien's message for now. There is uh, another part that we will get to next time out. But thank you so much for taking the time to check in. It's always a blast to uh, hear from you. Next up, Evan is checking in on sword number eight. And I've got a lot of messages from Evan here. And I apologize for taking so long to get to them here. But we will get to all of them. 
Now, Evan says, is, quote, Storm is dangerous even without her powers, unquote, approaching the level of other X-tropes like To Me, My X-Men and Madripoor is a Lawless Place. It feels that way. I guess it makes sense for Tarn and the other folks on Mars Araco to find out for themselves, though. And I think you're 100% right. Um, I feel like Storm is probably one of the tougher characters to write, since there are just so many ways you can go with her. And... She is potentially one of the more powerful characters, you know, in the entire Marvel Universe. So, so it's like a, a weird balancing act you got to do to sh- show vulnerability, but at the same time also show strength. And I don't think that's easy to do. And I feel like with Storm, such an emphasis is placed on just how resourceful she is that uh, we may, we may kind of overdo it. With it, you know, we may overdo like, oh, well, you know, you think she's down, but she's not. I mean, we had that issue of Marauders that was basically a storm love-in, which was almost to the point of being awkward because she was in the room with them as they were like fawning over how great and awesome she is, and she's pulling knives out of every orifice on her body. It was just weird, right? Um, it's also a sign that uh, the way we write comics has changed quite a bit in, you know, the past 30, 40 years, which, I mean, it's probably weird to say since 30, 40 years is a lot of time and uh, several, several generations. But, you know, Claremont was able to kind of massage these character traits into these, I mean, at the time they were fairly new characters and properties. Whereas now, it's like... We're not doing anything new, we're just embellishing what's come before, and since Claremont, what Claremont did was so masterful, you know, having her uh, beat, you know, a fully powered Cyclops for leadership of the X-Men to force him into his, like, two weeks worth of retirement, I mean, that was really, really cool. Uh, Before they undermined all of it and, you know, kind of went the other way. But, I mean, that was something that added a lot to Storm's character and showed that she was more than just a power set. And now we're, we're still kind of doing the same thing without putting in a whole lot of effort to add more. It's, I don't know, maybe that's just a trap that we fall into with, you know, serialized storytelling and the fact that characters really can't, they can't change too much. I don't know. Evan continues. I'm with you, this was not a bad issue, but I would like to see more of the Eclectic Sword cast. Maybe this was just a backdoor pilot for the recently announced X-Men Red. Huh. Oh well, maybe we'll get a Peeper's Legends book featuring flashback stories explaining why he is so beloved. And I tell you what, had I uh, covered this message a week or two ago, I'd probably have a completely different answer. (laughs) Um, As we've talked about, if you've made it to this episode, you've hopefully listened to uh, the Storm Storm, Sword number 11 uh, discussion, where, you know, that other shoe dropped. And it became a little bit clearer, or at least it was lampshaded, why the Eclectic eclectic Sword cast was not fleshed out uh, any further, because, well, Sword really wasn't Sword's book. Sword was Abigail Brand's book, with just enough of a focus on Sword to keep our eyes off the ball and kind of let Abigail Brand work behind the scenes, even right in front of our own eyes. And as we saw on the hype page in Sword number 11, this is leading to X-Men Red. So we will we will see what X-Men Red actually turns out to be. Will it be a team? Will it be a storm book? Will it be just a Mars Araco book? Will it be just a continuation of Sword? We will uh, we will find out, I think, in April. In, in any event, I am definitely looking forward to it. 
Evan wraps up with, though, kudos continuity-wise for actually following up on Storm's warning to Tarn. If I'm going to complain when they ignore stuff, I should acknowledge when they don't. And I agree wholeheartedly here. Uh, we did have Storm, uh, you know, threaten Tarn. You know, if you harm Kirkoa, then you are, you know, in effect, harming me. And, uh, well, she was going to react in kind, and we did see that here. So definitely, kudos to them for that. Actually acknowledging something that goes on in someone else's book. I mean, that's not something we see very often, unless, of course, that other person is uh, Jonathan Hickman. But uh, it's great to see some cross-continuity, especially when it's uh, paying tribute to something that happened in Hellions, which does not happen terribly often. But uh, thank you so much uh, for writing in, Evan, and thank you for uh, your patience here. I will be getting through all of your thoughts in the coming episodes. Uh, Next up, Peter talking about X-Force number 25. Now he says, and still, this book continues to surf along with higher sales numbers than most of the other X-Books. And yes, yes, this is of course a reference to uh, the surfing safari that Wolverine has been on for the past couple of issues of uh, the water-treading X-Force. And um, Peter's right. Peter is right. This book is doing a lot better on the sales charts than many of our books, likely due to the uh, name recognition, right, of uh, the X-Force title. X-Men, X-Force, and Wolverine are, you know, our sales leaders for the line, and I think that's got to be due to completionism and uh, the name recognition. It's enough to make me wish that uh, Hellions was actually called X-Force when it was launched, but uh, no, it was not to be. But thank you so much for writing in, Peter. Uh, Next up, Billy D talking about X-Lapsed Point One. Now, as I've mentioned a time or two uh, in recent episodes, uh, there was a period of time where I was in no condition to perform on the air uh, during the second half of uh, January. And so in order to not uh, miss a day of putting content up on the uh, feed, I was releasing a couple of the X-Lapsed Point One Patreon exclusives to... uh, you know, to the to the wider. I mean, it's funny. You know, uh, suggesting that there's a wider X lapsed audience because there really isn't. But uh, there's more accessibility to these episodes if they're on the main feed. So I put, uh, I think, the first four uh, episodes of X lapsed point one. And if you're unaware as to what X lapsed point one is, it is the uh, Patreon show where I look at uh, mutant stories that may not may not be completely X lapsed. I don't want to say worthy, but uh, they really don't fall in line with things like the Essential X-Lapsed or, you know, the current year show that we're on right now. This is where I went all the way back to the Golden Age to start talking about the uh, first Marvel mutant, uh, Namor the Submariner. And, uh, boy, those early Namor stories are something else. If you haven't listened to the uh, the few point one episodes that are up on the, uh, the main feed here, I, I think you might have a good time with them. I think you might dig them, so uh, I would uh, recommend checking those out. Uh, Now, Billy says, Hey, Chris, I've really enjoyed your coverage of these early Namor stories. I've never read them, but I've seen pages and panels from them, and they are wild. Bill Everett was really out there with some of his content, but I think people really enjoyed him pushing the envelope, for the most part. And, uh, yeah, these uh, stories were oddly... I don't want to say deep, (laughs) because they're not really deep... But when you think about, you know, the late 1930s and introducing a character who is going to stand the test of time and still be a uh, pretty big-time character, relatively speaking, you know, 80 years later, almost a century later, 
you'd think that it would start different than it did. Um, you would think there'd be more of a... Altruism is probably not the right word here Because Namor is an altruist uh, If you've read those stories, you'll know And he's also uh, very horny <laughs> He's he's an altruist when it comes to uh, pretty young things, basically But his earliest story I mean, his first page has him crushing a human's head I mean, he is He's a bad dude. <laughs> He's a badass. He's uh, just as likely to wreck like a, a whole platoon of Nazis as he is to destroy New York City. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, he's put on trial for murder. He's put in the electric chair. <laughs> it's really, really crazy. But uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out X Labs Point One, uh, maybe check it out. I'd, I'd love to hear more thoughts on these just insane Golden Age Namor the Submariner stories. They've really. Made me appreciate Namor even more than I already did I mean, he is such a fun character And these early stories really inform Inform the reader as to why he is, you know, just such a dickhead <laughs> It's really, really fun stuff But uh, thank you so much for checking out those episodes, Billy And uh, and writing in about them Last but not least, uh, I got a really, really kind letter From a listener named Antonio And in his missive he talked about um, A lot of the content that's available on the channel And at the blog But he wrapped up with a mention of X-Lapse He says, I started listening to your X-Lapse episodes in November So it's going to take me a while to catch up And I only mention that because I think it is awesome That uh, even, you know, 300 plus episodes in There are people discovering the show and listening to it from uh, from the beginning Even if you're picking and choosing which ones you're listening to Or if you're listening to an entire run of a certain book I mean, I love it And uh, if anybody listening to the words coming out of my mouth right now Are doing it in a similar way as Antonio If you're catching up If, you, if you're listening to this and this episode is a year or two old I still want to hear your thoughts on it So uh, this is an evergreen sort of show here Anytime you listen to any episode I invite you to write in and chat with me about it I'd love to hear your thoughts on anything That we're talking about here Or anything about your fandom Or anything you might want to talk about uh, I, I love the community aspect of this program It's uh, very, very important to me And it's something I'm very uh, I'm very proud of we're, we're not a big community But um, I think we're a really, really fun community And I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of it um, I also mentioned this email because um, I've been struggling to find ways to make this program a little bit more inviting to a potential new listener. And, um, you know, being 300 plus episodes in, I'm starting to understand and sympathize with Marvel and DC for renumbering their stuff so often because, yeah, if you put out an issue one, you're probably going to get a few more eyes than if you put out, a, you know, issue 305. It's just a fact. <laughs> And uh, I've been trying to find ways to... I, I don't want to... We're not relaunching the show at a new number one. That, that'd be ridiculous. But if I can put out side content that might collect earlier episodes and put that at a lower number, well, I, I'm open to that. Uh, if you've been following the channel, you'll know there are shows like The Collected X-Lapsed, which follows the, uh, X, uh, the Dawn of X anthologies, Reign of X anthologies, Kind of that format, because I know there are people who do follow along via the anthology So if I could put out a whole episode filling or featuring the entirety of an anthology Well, that might introduce the concept of this show to a few new ears And uh, I think even the collected X-Lapster up to episode like 30 Which is ridiculous, it's a lot of episodes of that show 
Uh, now I've started the X-Lapsed Triple Dip, which is uh, another repurposing of old content. But this one is in uh, the format of the uh, the solo trade, uh, the solo uh, the solo book trades. So it's like X Men by Jonathan Hickman, Volume One. So like the first six issues of X Men. So those episodes have been compiled into the triple dip. You know, this is the third time we're looking at these stories, but it's a different a different format. So if folks are following along with those trades. Well, there you go. There's a good entry point if you're interested in listening to some idiot talk about the book you just bought. Because, you know, I I get it. You know, having a show with a lot of episodes is daunting. If you decide you want to try to check something out, it's a huge, huge, huge pile of audio. And the episodes keep coming out, you know, with a pretty, uh, pretty speedy frequency. So I could totally see people being burnt out or just overwhelmed. Or just think it's not worth the effort. So if I can offer different formats for how to follow along, uh, I think that would uh, hopefully, hopefully reach a few more listeners and uh, might help the show in the long run here. So all that to say, uh, I'm trying to keep the show as accessible as possible and as new listener friendly as possible. And also making it clear that uh, we're open to discuss any of these books at any point in time. So that's an invitation to anybody writing in. If you want to talk about The Crucible again, we'll do that. If you want to talk about uh, Fallen Angels, we'll do that. Anything you want to talk about, any of the thoughts that uh, wander into your mind that you want to share, please, please, I encourage you and invite you to share them with me. So thank you so much for taking the time to write in, Antonio. I really appreciate uh, your, all the kind words that you shared in your, your message there. And, you know, it never fails. Anytime I'm sort of thinking that, uh, you know, there's no one out there and, you know, people are just kind of over the show, I'll get a, a wonderful and thoughtful email like that, and it kind of puts things in perspective for me. So I needed that, Antonio, so thank you <laughs> so, so much. But that's where we will end the mailbag for today. Uh, let's hop into the uh, This Week in X segment. Uh, it's a it's an abbreviated one because, uh, well, they haven't updated what's coming out on Marvel Unlimited in February yet, so I don't have anything to say about Unlimited. But if you're listening to this on Monday, just pop over to Unlimited and all those books will be there, I guess. <laughs> um, now, I do have information about what will be appearing on shelves this Wednesday. We've got three books. We've got New Mutants number 24. We've got... Secret X-Men number one, which I almost forgot was a thing. And we've got the X-Deaths of Wolverine number two. So I guess that is week four of that cross event, which I still cannot wait to begin. Uh, On the bookshelves this week, we've got Hellions by Zeb Wells volume three, as well as the Excalibur Omnibus volume two. And this is a good Excalibur. This is old Excalibur. So this is either a relatively lean week or a very expensive week, depending on uh, your mileage with uh, trade paperbacks and omnibuses. So that will do it for me for today. I do want to uh, thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed, who I've uh, neglected to mention over the past uh, several episodes, because, I don't know, I feel like I'm being... I, 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 I genuinely want to thank... The people who are, uh, you know, who are patrons of this program and uh, all of my creative endeavors here. But I feel like every time I mention the Patreon, I feel like I'm being salesy or pushy. And um, I don't know, it's just one of those things that uh, I have trouble with from time to time. But I, I want to sincerely thank the patrons over at uh, at the x Patreon who believe in this show, believe in this project, and uh, 
ultimately, hopefully, believe in me. Because <laughs> it really, it means more than I can put into words it means to me. Uh, so thank you to Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Yeager, and Andrew in Belfast. Thank you all so much for being there and being a part of this. It really, it means the world. It really, really does. So with all that said, uh, let's hop into contact information here. If anybody out there would like to reach out for any reason at all, I invite you and encourage you to do so. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. Instagram, 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the complete audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or searching up any of the show names uh, on any of those aggregation applications, yada, yada, yada. We're easy to find. If you're listening now, you already found us. But uh, hey, if anybody out there wants to share the link, I won't stop you. I won't stop you. <laughs> In fact, I encourage it. Uh, finally, of course, the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlap. Some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, exclusive content, and a wonderful group of folks to chat with. But I um, think that'll do it for now. I'd love to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya! See ya!